Um, my name's Clay, if we've not met before, and um, I want to talk a little bit about how how Jesus builds his church. The night before Jesus was crucified, he shared the Passover with his disciples. And uh, after the Passover, he prayed. And he prayed for himself. He prayed for his disciples, for the twelve. And then he prayed for the church, for those who would come to believe in him and follow. He prayed for us. 2,000 years ago, he prayed for us. And that prayer is recorded in John chapter 17. From verse 20. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I uh, I, sh- I tried to share this message on two previous Sunday mornings uh, and uh, the Lord wanted to illustrate unity in some different ways and that was very special, very powerful. But I had the chance to share it in a Sunday evening service a couple of months back and the elders asked me if I'd bring it here as was intended originally. And and this whole time, as I've been meditating on, on unity, and this verse in particular, powerful scripture of God's heart for us, I've just been very impacted and very interested in in what we can pull out from, from, this, from this prayer. It's a very interesting prayer. Jesus could have prayed for anything. He could have prayed for uh, our moral integrity, for our righteousness. He could have prayed for our doctrinal integrity, for our grasp of the truth. He could have prayed for mass anointings of Holy Spirit power and that we would be moving in wonders even he didn't. But he didn't. He didn't pray for that. He prayed that we would be one. He prayed that we'd be unified. And that's all he prayed. Now, I'm not saying that this short prayer implies that Jesus doesn't care about righteousness or correct theology or evangelism. These are all important to him, and we see these in other scriptures. But this prayer, this last prayer before he was arrested and then went to the cross, it does suggest that there are some things that are very important to him. It suggests a priority. Of all the things he could have prayed for, that last prayer before he was arrested and then crucified, he prayed for unity. He prayed that we would be one. Now, there are a number of levels at which this unity that he prayed for 
can be implemented and manifested. And my belief is that when he cast his spiritual eye forward to the future and prayed for the church, he wasn't actually seeing the rock. Because the rock is not the church. You understand that, right? We talk about, you know, I'm going to church, and, you know, the rock's my church. But the rock is not the church. So when God talks about the, the church, when he thinks about the church, there is only one church. Just as there is one God, there is one God and there is one church. And the rock is a part of that, but just a part of that. So in the first instance, when Jesus is praying for unity and that his church, those that would come to believe, would be unified, he's not necessarily thinking specifically about us, just us, but about every brother and sister on the planet who has committed themselves to follow him. We are the church. The rock, the street, arise, the olive tree, the Anglicans, Catholics, Lutherans. We are the church. And when Jesus prayed for the church, he prayed that we would be one. Now, is that even possible? When you look through church history and just look at the state of the church now, and the 41,000 denominations that there are, some that are at war with each other, you might think that it's impossible. But then you look at us, and you think, well, how can we unify the church globally when we can't even be unified in our gathering, in our assembly? We have life groups small groups of people that don't experience true unity. Jesus prayed that the church, the global church, the one church that he sees would be one, that would be unified. But that unity, it starts right here. It starts in our relationships. We can't unify the Catholic Church with the Lutherans or the Brethrens with the Assembly of God. But we start right here by building unity among ourselves, by building unity in our life groups. And I want to talk a little bit about that this morning. The Apostle Paul was dealing with the issues of disunity in the church in the first century. This is not something that, disunity is not something that we've created recently. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 from verse 10, Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Peter. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? 
here at The Rock, it has never been about following Anthony or Bruce or Greg or God help us Clay. It's about following Christ. But even here, just as was the case in Corinth, some have become confused on that. Now, we can't reconcile the global church here just among ourselves. But our struggle is actually being united to ourselves, let alone another assembly. People are arguing, gossiping, talking each other down behind their backs, or just leaving. And leaving sometimes with baggage and hostility. I see our experiences here at The Rock over the last 18 months as a microcosm of the experiences of the church around the world and throughout church history. Our circumstances are certainly not unique. When we disagree with each other, we pack up and leave and start something new with like-minded people or try to find like-minded people that we can join. But that is not what God commanded us to do. He didn't tell us to find people who think the same as us and make that our church until they don't think the same of us, and then we leave to find another group that suits our thinking better. We were told to find, we are not told to find like minds, but to be like-minded. This is God's word, 1 Corinthians 1.10. Be perfectly united in mind and thought. 2 Corinthians 13.11. Be of one mind, Philippians 2.2. Make my joy complete by being like-minded. 1 Peter 3.8, all of you be like-minded. These words, this command, time and time again. We have taken this to mean that we must gather in community with people who think the same as us on the issues that are important to us. That is why there are so many denominations in the world, despite the fact that Jesus so clearly desires one church in unity. Jesus would have his church his body, his bride, unified in one mind and spirit. But how is that even possible? Well, apparently it is possible because it happened once, a long time ago. And it was a small church. In Acts chapter 4, verse 32, we read that all the believers were one in heart and mind. What does that even mean, to have one heart and one mind, being like-minded? Is God transforming us to be like bees, where we we have the same program and we just do our little thing without thinking? I don't believe he is at all. In fact, he's called us to love him with all our hearts and all our minds and all our bodies. The mind he gave us, he wants us to use. But somehow we can find a unity in our thinking with others. What has been reiterated time and time again is that God is transforming us into the likeness of Christ. And his plan as he transforms us into the likeness of Christ is that we get the mind of Christ. So we have, we are like-minded 
because we all have the mind of Christ. Or, as 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16 affirms, we have the mind of Christ. We just have to start thinking with it. Because even now, there are two natures that are at battle within us. The nature of the flesh and the nature of the spirit. The nature of the spirit is the Holy Spirit, the seal, the deposit that is in with all of us who are of Christ. But at the same time, there is our, our human nature, the nature of the flesh. It's human thinking. It's worldly thinking. It's corrupt thinking. And we tend more often than not to use that mind rather than the mind of Christ that the Holy Spirit has given us. And so we fight and we squabble and we run away and leave because we're using the mind of the flesh. And the mind of the flesh is precious. It is suspicious. It gets hurt easily. It's easily offended. It gets defensive. It gets offensive. And with that spirit, there can be no unity. We become like-minded as we become Christ-like. He is the unifying factor. He is in us all. And the more we allow him to shape our thinking and feeling, the more we will be drawn to each other, drawn to the spirit of God that is in each other. I just, I think time and time again as I think about unity, about the work that God has done between Greg and myself. Fortunately, most of you were spared the battles that Greg and I had. And a lot of those, well, from my end, those battles that I dealt with Greg from the flesh, from my human mind. And Greg was trying to bring revelation from God that my human mind was was fighting tooth and nail against. And my human mind was treating Greg like a man, like a like a human being. And I saw him with all of that and all his failing. What I didn't see was the Spirit of Christ within him. And so we couldn't be unified because we're very different and we just clashed. But the more I came to see Christ on him and the gift that is on him and allowed my spirit to engage with that, the more God was able to break me down and humble me and help us to have true unity. As it turns out, the same spirit of Christ that is in me is in him. And as we let those spirits unify, everything else falls in line. But I needed to see Christ on him. And for that, I needed to start seeing with spiritual eyes. Unity requires a continuous surrender to the sanctifying work of God's Spirit within us to make us more like Jesus. And unity takes something else as well. It takes love. Jesus prayed for our unity that Passover night. He spoke to his disciples in John 13, 34-35, and he said, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. 
By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Hmm, that again is very interesting. The night before he's crucified, passing on these final powerful instructions. It wasn't signs and wonders that he said people would know them by. It wasn't their ability to articulate the gospel. It was love. It was love. This would be the defining characteristic which would demonstrate to the world that they are of Christ. Some parts of the church, global, are very good at articulating the gospel. Or at least the part of it where people can be justified. Some parts of the church are very good at signs and wonders. God moves powerfully through them. Amazing things happen. Some parts of the church are very good at caring for the community's needs and move incredibly in areas of social justice. But it is love which Jesus said would define us. It is love which unifies us. And unfortunately, it is a lack of love which is separating us around the world and here. Jesus asked, who is my mother, who are my brothers? He said, as those that do the will of my father. See, I love my family, my flesh and blood. I love them. And even though we fight and squabble sometimes with my, my brothers and sisters, I love them to the core of me. I'm bound to them. They get away with so much. They can call me anything under the sun. I think about some of the horrible things I've spoken to my mother in a, in a different life. Shames me now. But she loved me despite that. Because I'm her son. Because of the familial bond that we have. No one here could get away with the way that I've talked to her or the way that my brothers and sisters have talked to me. But we don't say half of that kind of thing to each other, but we take we take the most shocking offence. The difference between my relationships with my flesh and blood family and my spiritual family uh, is love. And that, to the core of me, I, I appreciate and recognise my blood ties. But there is something that holds me back from recognising that there is a greater relationship than that. Flesh and blood pass away. But the spirit is eternal. And my what binds me to you is stronger than what binds me to my flesh and blood. Now, I get that. I understand that revelation, the doctrine of it of at least. But living it out is something completely different. And the goal that Christ has for me and has for you is that I would have a love for you greater than the love I have for my mum. And if you know any of my testimony, you know that there is that my love for my mother, for my wife, oh, will make me cry before you, and so much more. But the what binds us together, the spirit of Christ, is greater than that. It is greater than my marriage certificate. It's greater than my birth certificate. 
The Spirit of Christ binds me to you. You are my brothers and sisters, and you will be forever. And I need that to sink deep so that I can truly love you. Love you more than those relationships. And when we can start to actually live that out, there is nothing that can separate us. And so Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And then they will know that you were my disciples. Then we really will be one. Unity isn't something you just pray for. It's something each of us has to live for. Unity, <clears throat> unity requires love. And we will never see true unity until we truly come to love each other. Love enables us to put our differences aside. Love enables us to humble ourselves before each other. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider him equality with God, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus' love for us and the Father was demonstrated in his humility and his sacrifice. And these we are told to emulate. And it is this common attitude that will build unity among us. Love demonstrated through humility and sacrifice. What is love? Well, we've heard this so many times before. In 1 Corinthians 13, from verses 4 to 7, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, it always perseveres. Am I describing the rock right now? I need to be. Love isn't a feeling. It is a heart position that is expressed in the way we treat each other. Our love comes from God. We love because he first loved us. He has taught us how to love. And the more we meditate on Jesus' teaching and example, the more we learn about what that love looks like. For example, in John 13, we read that the night Jesus gathered with his disciples to share the Passover meal, there was apparently no servant to fulfill the customary role of uh, washing the guest's feet. 
Now, they need to wash their feet because they lived in an agrarian society where everything was donkeys and uh, and cows and goats and the poo that they create. So it's just poo everywhere. So you're walking around, there's poo on you. So when you when you come in to recline at a table, that's to lie down with each other at a table to share a meal, um, you're lying down and Greg's feet next to you, those huge, big, gargantuan feet are covered in in poo all over them. You gotta wash it. But who who's gonna handle other people's pooey feet? I don't want to touch people's feet without poo on it. Let alone poo on feet. So that so that's so it would be um the role of the the lowest steward, the lowest servant in the house would handle the pooey feet. The disciples, they don't want to, they don't want to put themselves at the very bottom and say, yeah, I'll do the, I'll do the pooey feet. So no one, no one took, took the role. Jesus saw that as an opportunity to show them what true humility is. And then the master, the rabbi, takes off his outer garment, wraps his robe around himself, he gets down on his hands and knees, and he washes the filth from his disciples' feet. And then they started to get it. Peter is shamed out. No, Lord, no, you can't wash my feet. Jesus is like, well, you can't have any part of me if I can't do this for you. True humility, dealing with the filth on people. So humbling, even Peter couldn't deal with it, but it's a powerful object lesson that Jesus showed that if he could humble himself to serve them, they could humble themselves to serve and honor each other. And I've experienced this firsthand, and I've learned a lot from it. Many years ago, I was the director of uh, an Operation Jerusalem urban mission, one school holidays, in uh, the rougher part of Palmerston North, um, out in Highbury. And uh, we ran a, a week-long gospel program for the for the kids out there and the council got behind it we had uh had an amazing time lots of fun activities and games and and we had about a uh, 100 kids who came along to be a, a part of of the of the uh, of the program many made decisions for faith and all were impacted by uh by our love and grace uh, for them it was a very very special time and we uh we wrapped up the program uh with uh with a party that we we put on for them uh, when we were in the, uh, the council had given us the use of the park, um, that was there and, and, uh, we started at about, I don't know, about 11 o'clock and we had games and activities and, and, uh, was going to finish with it with a big meal and then like a graduation ceremony to, um, to honor the kids for their, their commitment to the program. We were going to hand out certificates and a little gift for them and it was, it was, it was really cool and the kids have been really looking forward to it and, and, uh, my, my, team of volunteer teenagers who had put the program on were very excited about it as well. Um, at the same time, there was another group of people who were quite excited about their festivities, and that was the local Mungle Mob chapter, who um, were having a house party uh, on the street adjacent uh, to the park. And um, and they were they were celebrating ooh, just as hard as we were um, with the, uh, the benefit of uh, alcoholic beverages. And um, as our party progressed, their party progressed as well. And um, by lunchtime, these guys were smashed. 
and their party was starting to spill out onto uh, the park where we were with the kids. Right, so I'm trying to keep an eye on, on this developing situation while kind of making sure everything is still running smoothly with, uh, with our program, um, thinking that they're probably mutually exclusive in terms of the goals we're looking to achieve. Um, and I'm thinking, um, I need, to, I need to keep, I need to keep the kids and, and my team safe. Um, at the same time, not trying to incite anything from, um, uh, from the mob. So, um, yeah, that was, it was, it was, it was, it was a bit of tension there. It was a fine line. We we're kind of walking, uh, uh, and I thought we were, we we're going to be fine until, um, until one particular, uh, mobster decided that someone was looking at him. And, uh, so he came over just to, just to clarify whether someone was looking at him or not. Um, and he was convinced that, um, that this person was. So I, I kind of stepped in. Um, just to clarify matters, and um, what I clarified was that I wanted to fight him. Um, so this 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 kind of had gone up um, a notch. Um, uh, I worked hard to defuse the situation, and then this guy didn't want to fight me, but he did want to fight the guy who was looking at him, who was 16 years old. Uh, so yeah, that was getting out of out of hand, beyond my capacity to deal with it. So I ended up making a call that I'm. Uh, I'd have to shut down our program and um, move everything back to our um, uh, the base we were using, a local community centre, and we'd have to wrap it up there. And so I just made the call, let's do it now. And of course, my team and uh, and the sister who had been um, running the program with me weren't aware of all these developments. I'd been trying to keep it off to the side. I don't want everyone getting terrified. Um, so. So they just saw me shutting the party down prematurely, about an hour and a half early. We hadn't had the meal yet, and they were gutted. They were seriously disappointed that I would shut down this program, and um, and they just couldn't understand it. They 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 got angry, started talking about me behind my back, um, and and some kids actually started to think uh, some of the the volunteers, the teenagers, that they just want to go home. They want to call their parents, um, and and go home. Um, fortunately, this is before cell phones, um, so you can imagine such a time. Uh, so they couldn't just call anyone, uh, but but that's what they were threatening to do. Um, the most indignant of the team approached the sister who was my deputy, someone who they understood was also bitterly disappointed that I'd shut down the party as she had organised it. They told her I'd ruined the mission and that they would be then going home that night. Now, what my sister Rebecca did next was beautiful. She gathered our mission team together, and then she came and found me, and sat me down on a comfy chair she'd pulled outside just for me. She took off my shoes, and she washed my feet in warm soapy water, and then she dried them with her towel. And then, before the whole team, she told me that she appreciated the work I had poured into pulling the mission together, and that she trusted my judgment and trusted that I acted in everyone's best interests when I closed the kids' party. She then apologized publicly for anything she might have said to undermine my authority and cause division. And then the team members who had earlier planned to mutiny and go home came up and apologized to me in front of their friends, and they all gave me a hug. And then I explained to the team the reason why I had shut down 
the kids' party early. I told them about drunk gangsters and threats of violence and why I didn't tell them at the time. And then they understood. And everything was okay. But it was Rebecca's humility that created that environment. It was her actions that unified us again and that humbled us all. That's not the treatment I usually get from people who disagree with me. That kind of humility is not something that we see often. But that is the humility that Christ modelled, that he called us to follow. John 13 from verse 12 says, When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed by them. This has nothing to do with washing feet. This is about humility, and that was just one illustration of it. It is placing ourselves under each other. Choosing to take what actually is the higher road. Where we act in love, and act in trust, and act in compassion. Rather than getting defensive. The question for us this morning is, what does humility and a servant heart look like among us? What do we do when we disagree with each other? When we're offended by each other? When we're hurt by each other? Because we're going to be hurt by each other. We are going to disagree with each other. Until we are all fully working in the glorified likeness of Christ, we are going to clash because the spirit of man of flesh is still within us. And that's what where the fight comes from. So until we are fully transformed into the likeness of Christ, we will see issues. The question is, what are we going to do when those things come up? Greg is going to bring a whole lot of stuff which I am just not going to agree with. I am not going to have the revelation yet. Because it turns out, as I've come to discover, God tells him stuff before he tells me. Greg has a spiritual sight to see into things before I do. That's very inconvenient for me and for my pride. Turns out God's not so interested in what's convenient for me. But what I've found over the last couple of years is as I approach that whole thing humbly, God is able to show me stuff through Greg that I probably wouldn't have found on my own. Because there is a gifting on Greg that is not on me. And through that humility, God has been unifying Greg and myself and others around this place. Will we follow the well-trodden path to go out the door and find the perfect church? Or set up our own church and make that perfect? Or will we receive the teaching of the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12? It says, as God's chosen people, 
holy and dearly loved. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And in the practice of this teaching, answer Jesus' prayer. Committing ourselves to unity, humbling our hearts, and surrendering our will to God. Allowing His Spirit to transform our minds to that of Christ. So that together we can truly be one. And then, as Jesus prayed in John 17, then the world will know that Jesus is who he says he is, and that his love for them is real, just as it is for us. Let's be the testimony of Jesus' love. I know there's still quite a work to be done in me, in this. And so what I need from you is, is your, your help. So that I, I need to come to see all of you here and my many brothers and sisters who aren't even here this morning to see you truly as my spiritual family. I need you to help me accountable to that. Because it's only in that when I truly love you as my brother and sister that I can be united to you. And I know if I can't do that, how can I ask anyone else to do that as well? So I ask that you would pray for me, that I would come to have the love that Christ has for me, for you. In fact, let's, let's pray. Let's pray that together now. Would that be okay? All right. I'm going to ask you to stand with me now. Because I want to stand, and with one voice, I want to lift something to God. But I'm going to ask you to do something else. I'm going to ask you to reach out your hands and grab the hand of the people next to you. Who are, if you weren't aware, your brother and sister in Christ. And as I pray, if if you agree with what I'm saying, I want you to still affirm it. I want you to say, yes, I want you to say, amen. As we lift this to the Lord and we say, Lord, thank you that you are one. That you have revealed yourself as one God, Father, Son, and Spirit, who are one, perfectly united within yourself. And thank you, Lord, that you have given us a vision that we can be one one with you and one with each other. In fact, that has been your prayer. And Lord, I surrender myself to that, that I would be one with you and one with my brothers and sisters here. Lord, I pray that you would give me a deeper revelation of your love, that I would receive more of your love. And in that same love, I would love my brothers and sisters, just as you have loved me. Lord, I pray you would break down the the spirit of flesh within me and ignite, Lord, to a deeper level the Holy Spirit that I would not hold back your work within me but I would allow you to transform me more and more into the likeness of Christ. 
who is love. I know this is only accomplished, Lord, by your Spirit. And I surrender to you again in Jesus' name. Amen.